Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. I said I'd drop the topics for Wednesday's live call-in show at the end of this episode, but I wasn't sure how long it was going to take to finish this episode, and I didn't want to wait too long to announce the topics. So they were published a little earlier. I wanted to give you enough time to look into and think about what you want to say if you're going to call in. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and catch my last two posts. They're like four minutes each, and they have all the details for the upcoming live launch on Wednesday night, including the call-in topics. I hope you'll join me for that. Now, for today's show. History is repeating. Again, Gina Carano was a bit ahead of the curve with the tweet that got her canceled. Here's the tweet. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? They pounced on her because she hit the nail a bit too squarely on the head. The wizard cannot tolerate curtain ruffling. The one thing I think she missed is that the target does not appear to just be a particular political group, but a racial one as well. Sure, they want to stamp out conservatives, and particularly constitutionalists. The whole idea is single-party rule with no obstacles to power. But those groups are too difficult for the average sheep to readily identify. What do they look like? Well, frankly, constitutionalists, conservatives, they come in every color, shape, size, gender, ethnicity, even orientation. So instead, they put the sights on white people and so-called whiteness. That is a much more easily identified target. It's a tactic that's been used ad nauseum throughout history and with spectacular success. If you want power, you have to somehow unite the many groups of disparate interests under your leadership. One of the most tried and true methods of doing that is targeting an easily identifiable group and then convincing the rest that that group is the cause of all their difficulties and sorrows. It's a pretty standard communist tactic. Hitler, Stalin, and Mao each employed it with remarkable effectiveness. Hitler used ethno-nationalism as his uniting platform. The master race. Any group that did not conform to the ideal of the German master race was inferior and was therefore worthy of nothing more than subjugation. At the top of that inferior class was the Jews. They were physically different from ethnic Germans, which made them readily identifiable. They tended to be successful, which made them easy targets of envy by the depressed people of Weimar Germany. Most importantly, they were docile. They were not a people inclined to organize and resist until things became desperate. The National Socialist Workers' Party went on a media blitz that turned into a prolonged campaign convincing the German people that the Jews were the primary source of all their woes. The National Socialists convinced enough Germans that they were Germany's saviors 
and would solve their problems if only the German people would support them in their crusade against the root of those problems, the Jews. This fabricated enmity flamed immediately into hate. There were isolated attacks in the streets as Jews here and there were singled out and beaten. Then Jewish shops were vandalized. Then Jews were dragged into the streets and beaten wholesale. Then they were rounded up by the socialists and gassed en masse. By then, a critical mass of the people so hated the Jews that there was insufficient resistance to the atrocities. In Russia, it was the kulaks, the middle-class farmers. These were peasants who, by their industry, had risen from poverty to a reasonably comfortable lifestyle. Both Lenin and Stalin targeted them as parasites feeding off the people. They had land and profited from the industry of their own labor. The Bolsheviks wanted that land and wanted everyone to work for the party. Target acquired. The party turned the people against them, convincing the populace to hate them, until, when the party moved in to take their land, there were too few Russians opposing the move. The farmers who resisted were killed, and much of the remainder were sent to forced labor and death camps. In China in the 1940s and 50s, Maoists targeted landlords. Landlords were blamed for all the miseries of the Chinese people. Low-income Chinese were told to hate the landlords until they started killing them off. When that ruse ran out of steam, Mao turned them on the intellectuals. By this time, the Communist Party had more or less absolute power, and it was easy. Not only to get the people to hate the intellectuals, turn on them, and turn them in, but it was easy to get the people to go along with sending them into forced labor and death camps. It's a pretty easy formula. Target an outgroup and blame them for the woes of the people. Spread your propaganda of hate through not only government, but media and entertainment, until it becomes ubiquitous enough that one must accept it to remain in the in-group. At this point, social enforcement takes hold, and the movement becomes self-sustaining. This doesn't begin overtly. You don't start calling for people to beat the Jews in the street or lynch farmers. You start with subtle overtones and reasoned arguments that seem plausible on the surface. You plant small seeds, then you water those seeds until they overwhelm the garden. Once the ball is rolling, people who have caused harm must continue to convince themselves that the original premise was correct, or their conscience will catch up with them. When they suppress their conscience, they become even more vile and capable of even more harm. The majority of people never engage in the most abhorrent behavior, but those who do run unchecked and social enforcement is enough to keep most of the remainder either passively supportive or, at the very least, too afraid to publicly object. And there you have it, the conditions necessary for gulags and death camps, one-party rule and public consent. That's all it takes. It starts subtly, then not so subtly. Its purveyor's greatest strength is the public's denial. The idea of what is happening is so heinous so ridiculous that people want to believe it couldn't happen, even if it's happening around them. Now, let's fast forward to present day. What's happened since the spring and summer of 2020 in the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter demonstrations and protests is that uh, millions of white Americans are waking up to their whiteness and being puzzled. 
What's the difference between whiteness and white supremacy? The white supremacy is a system that says that white people are the, are the norm, are normative, are worth more, and are valued at the expense of others. When we think about a culture that that idea spawns, it is whiteness. And then we think like, about white people as people who benefit from uh, the system of white supremacy, whether they participate in it actively or not. One has to first name the sin of whiteness. And that is not the sin of people who happen to look like white Americans, but the sin of living into whiteness as we understand whiteness to be that which oppresses and to understand that to be raced white is an anathema to what it means to be Christian. White supremacy can't be dismantled unless those of us who hold power divest from whiteness. What privilege does mean, specifically white privilege, is that your skin color didn't make your life more challenging. Right, I, I hear what you're saying, but the thought that I have white privilege makes me feel really bad. It, it doesn't have I to. feel bad. It's okay. It's made me, I'm feeling bad. Oh, I hate racism. I hate I racism. Let's try to keep going. Look, but I have white privilege. There, I said it. I said it. I did it. I can handle that. I have white privilege. I have a very charismatic white privilege. <laughs> sure. And having that privilege means that you don't have to deal with things like being racially profiled or getting unfairly turned down for a mortgage loan because of your skin color or being a minority at your workplace. So you have to explain privilege to people you work with. That's terrible. All white people are racist. So <laughs> I put this up because I really want any white person in the room to know upfront that this is what we're dealing with, that it's not going to be this coddling of white tears and what that looks like. We're not going to discuss, oh, maybe some of us have worked it out. No, you're always going to be racist, actually. So even when you're on your path to trying to figure out how to be a better human being, um, because I believe that white people are born into not being human, like that actually instead of people of color and black folks being dehumanized, that actually everyone is dehumanized off rip within white supremacy, that y'all are born into a life to not be human. And that's what y'all are taught to do, to be demons. So in this particular way, white people are all racist. From Psychology Today, which is supposed to be a scientific medical journal, what is whiteness? An unfairly privileged exclusionary category based on physical features, most notably, a lack of melanin. Whiteness is a forced group membership that originated by oppressing people of color. Citation, Williams 2020. And it causes psychological and spiritual damage to white people, just as it damages non-whites. White Americans are imbued with whiteness from infancy, and do not choose it for themselves. People who look white and who have immigrated to America are generally afforded whiteness upon arrival whether they want it or not. You may have heard the term white guilt. Many white people are reluctant to define or even discuss whiteness due to the unpleasant feelings it can evoke of guilt and shame. Citation, D'Angelo, 2011. Shame is a particularly toxic emotion due to the lengths at which people will go to avoid this feeling, which typically includes blame-shifting, aggression, and other forms of hostility. It may also lead to self-harm to atone for wrongs done 
or other dysfunctional behaviors to distract from the weight of the shame. This is why it feels so uncomfortable when white nationalists talk about white pride. For most of us, it just doesn't seem right. Continuing to accept unjust benefits that ultimately come at the expense of others is antisocial and unethical. It causes the beneficiaries, example, white Americans, to have a stake in not acknowledging, seeing, or changing the problematic status quo. What a load of waffle. As I watched way too many videos on the subject while I was preparing this, I noticed a defining theme in all of them. It was the idea that white-skinned people had created a system in which they oppress people who look different. What were we discussing before about targeting a group and blaming that group for all the woes of the rest in order to consolidate power? The Gateway Pundit reported this. Parents at Tustin Unified School District in Orange County, California, are demanding answers after discovering their children were given a white savior complex assignment without parental knowledge. There's a video interview on YouTube of two Jewish men who grew up in Germany. The description states, Walters V. Bacharach and Uri Ben-Ari describe life in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Unfortunately, most of it isn't in English, so I'm going to read the subtitles. Uri Ben-Ari stated that while in school in Germany, I studied race theory every morning. They taught us race theory every morning. He goes on to say that this was followed by beatings by other children after school, that gangs of both Hitler Youth and non-Hitler Youth kids had attacked him. Regular German children taught to hate someone for their race. White is the new target group. The left needs a target group to consolidate power against, and this time, it's white people, however they choose to define that. And that's important. The people doing the targeting are the same people choosing who goes in the group. In a recent attack, a black man beat an Asian man to death. This is from the Daily Wire. The attack, which was captured in shocking detail by a nearby surveillance camera, was the latest in a string of violent attacks against Asian Americans and Asian immigrants in and around San Francisco, California, and prompted a national call to address racism against the Asian community. According to local media, there have been 20-plus attacks in the city's Chinatown neighborhood alone in the past several weeks. In order to bring national attention to the issue, activists in New York City organized a march on Saturday in support of ending white supremacy. Antoine Watson, a 19-year-old resident of Daly City, made his first court appearance at the Hall of Justice after being taken into custody Saturday in what police have described as an unprovoked attack on Vicha Ratanapakti, the outlet reported last week. Authorities say Watson rushed across the street and pushed Ratanapakti to the ground near Ansavista and Fortuna Avenues last Thursday at around 8.28 a.m., causing him to hit his head on the pavement and slide into a garage door. Ratanapakti died Saturday as a result of his injuries after being taken to a hospital. Teen Vogue writer and progressive activist Kim Tran tried to draw the connection between the attack that killed Vicha Ratanapakti, the subsequent arrest, and the concept of white supremacy on social media last week, suggesting that attacks that occur between minority communities are prompted by systemic racism that pits people of color against each other. So let's try to follow that. A non-white murders a non-white, and white supremacy is to blame. Follow the logic. Of course there is none. 
It's all to keep sight on target. White people are to blame. White people are to blame. Focus, focus. White people are to blame. Your problems all come from white people. You see where this goes? I hate to be the herald of bad news, but this path doesn't go anywhere good for anyone. At the heart of this is an old idea that has resurfaced under a new name. Britannica defines critical race theory as an intellectual movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biological, grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, culturally invented, category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Had me there right up until the end. People are people. We are all children of God. There are no immutable characteristics that make one person or group superior to another. To put it more specifically, no person or group possesses characteristics that grant them authority to rule over any other group. Throughout history, race has been used to justify genocide and enslavement. Despite what critical race theorists will tell you, this isn't something new. It goes back a long, long way and was a pervasive evil up until recently when the principles of the Constitution began to win out. What they're doing, in the name of diversity, inclusion, equity, whatever they want to call it, is actually reversing the progress made as constitutional principles began to win out. There is nearly infinite diversity in genetic expression throughout the human family, accounting for the many, many differences in how people look, but once again, it comes down to pitting supposed victims against accused oppressors for the purpose of consolidating power. It is a group attempting to usurp power through fabricated identity conflict. In other words, it's Marxism in a nutshell. And what do you know? It, it actually, critical legal studies, which we already knew was the origin of critical race theory, um, really was founded, it, it was influenced by... Um, some of those um, those European influences, um, and part of it was critical theory. Some of it was the, the Marxist theory, um, but the, and that influenced critical legal studies. And this goes back to um, what Kelly was speaking about: is this notion that we create theories that that get us thinking, that inspire us, and then we take it further, so we're able to move forward. And so, um, so it is true that it was influenced. Um, by this, this, the Frankfurt School, that, um, which is where Marx came out of. Critical theory came from Marx's school, the Frankfurt Institute. Politics is downstream of culture. That's why the commies are pushing social enforcement. If they tried to enforce this through government, even a little, there would be massive backlash. As an example, see the court case that just came out where the Biden administration tried to push a new program that specifically excluded white farmers. But once it's taken hold in culture, it's self-perpetuating. It's driven by the animus of the populace. And then, history bookmaking atrocities start happening. The great thing about our day is that we have nearly the whole of human knowledge at our fingertips. We're capable of looking back at the patterns that defined the mistakes of the past and compare them to current times. Why is that so critical? Because we can use that knowledge, that recognition, to break the pattern. First step is a freebie. This one's easy. 
Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't buy into the lies and manipulation. Do your own homework. Learn about these topics and events for yourself. They can't make you hate your fellow man after you recognize them as the charlatans that they are. They are nothing more than purveyors of poison. We are all children of God. He loves us all and is trying his best to guide us to do what is right without forcibly interfering with our free will. He does not want us to hate each other. He doesn't want us to hurt each other. He wants us to learn to do what is right for the sake of doing what is right. Make that your mantra and your goal, to treat everyone as a fellow child of God and to do what is right because it's right. We preach self-government, but of what value is that preaching if we don't actually govern ourselves, if we don't live correct principles of our own free will? Don't buy into the racial narrative. Don't tolerate it. Not in your homes, not where you work, not where you worship. They have introduced an infection. What happens when you let an infection spread? It gets much more difficult to combat. And once it's spread enough, it becomes systemic. It spreads to every part of the organism. In medicine, a systemic infection is referred to as sepsis. You know what happens to a septic patient who doesn't receive immediate, extensive intervention? The patient dies. I'm going to leave it there. Please share the link to this episode with your friends and on social media. The more people we can reach, the more good we can do. I really hope you'll join me for the live launch Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Mark your calendars. Be there. If you haven't listened to the last couple of posts, they're only like four minutes long each, and they explain everything and lay out the topics for the call-in show. So, till then, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Thank you.